Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Rays are swept by the Red Sox to make it four losses in a row. Tampa Bay suddenly can't win close games. They're now 0-3 in extra inning games and 0-3 in one-run games. A base-running mistake by Tommy Pham ended Saturday's game with a pickoff when the Rays trailed by a run. And on Sunday, it was Pham who tied the game with a home run, but they lost 4-3 in 11 innings. Why did Kevin Cash have such an early hook for Tyler Glass now and has the bullpen been exposed? We've got a lot to talk about with the Rays. The NFL draft, meanwhile, is only three days away. On Friday, the league came out and admitted that they were unfair to the Bucks in their schedule, you think? And it's a rare thing to do for the NFL, but what can they do about it now? At least they say they're rooting for the Bucks. And a very sad beginning to the Easter weekend as news broke Saturday that former Bucks running back and longtime NFL scout Reggie Cobb had died at age 50. I'll have my thoughts about Reggie, and everybody had nothing but great things to say about him. Really sad for his family. But we've got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to be a sponsor to this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. For information, just contact us on Twitter, at Sports Day TV, or you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. All right, Steve, so kind of a lost weekend for the Rays, to say the very least. They've now lost four in a row. They get swept in three games by the Red Sox, all very competitive games, games that I thought they fought to the very end, but mistakes were certainly made, not just on the base path and some wasted opportunities especially I think it was Saturday night where they had four triples and stranded three of those guys on third base with less than one out or less than two outs. But, uh, man, it's uh, suddenly the pitching has sort of gone away, especially in the bullpen. Of course, they've been worked an awful lot of late, and I guess it was just kind of another example on Sunday as Kevin Cash went and got Tyler Glass now with just one out in the fifth inning. He had thrown very, very well. And that decision is going to be second-guessed, even even a little bit by Kevin Cash himself. But it's it's not the way the, the Rays had hoped to to battle the Red Sox. I mean, they were on such a hot streak. The Red Sox got off to a terrible start. And now the Rays are suddenly first with their first, you know, major losing streak of the season. Well, the disappointing part is, you know, Boston came in the series, I believe they were eight games back. Yep. You had a chance to bury them. Mm-hmm. But even if you only won one game, you're still going to be. Yeah, they only they only pick up one game. On yeah, you. I mean, yeah. you know, so you you kind of let them off the mat. I mean, you know, I, I was commenting, you know, we were, I was at all three games, and you're kind of wondering, you know, are we allowing Boston to wake up in this Absolutely. season? Absolutely. The hard part is the the opener strategy. I think there's lots of benefits to it. We've talked about it for a long time, and and why it works, and why it's successful, and and how it's successful. But when you only have three starters, and your best starter goes out hurt. And now you're limiting your third starter to five and a third innings with 70-some pitches. Yeah. 
you're wearing that bullpen out. And that's where the opener strategy struggles when you're not getting length from the, the pitchers that are supposed to get you length. And, and, you know, Blake's an injury. Okay, he's on the injured list. But why you didn't let Glass now go today? And the bullpen, quite frankly, against a better lineup, seemed to, I like to call it the pucker factor. They seemed scared. You know, this wasn't the White Sox and Blue Jays you were facing. Yeah, that's a good lineup. And, you know, Boston, some of those guys had not been hitting the ball. Some are still not hitting the ball. They didn't come in very hot, um, but they certainly left that way. And you're right. I mean, I think that this is the first quality lineup that they've faced in a while. Now, Houston, obviously, the first series of the season, that's a pretty good Mm -hmm. lineup in and of its own. And and Colorado was, you know, a team that made the playoffs a year ago. But the Houston series, you had, you know, Blake and Morton and Glasnow pitched very well. I mean, Blake actually, Blake struggled. He was the only one that struggled. But he still got you five or six innings that first game. He got you length, yeah. Yeah, I think it was six innings, five runs. Morton and, mm-hmm. and Glass now pitched well, so you weren't you weren't exposing that bullpen and leaving it out there for for long stretches. Right, right, and and I mean I think that you know it really came well. The whole weekend was was sort of that. You know they battled back. They were down five nothing in one game. Battled back, managed to tie that, and you know they wind up uh, losing that game. Uh, it was you know again the bullpen that blew up. I mean Diego Castillo for a while. Sorely just you know lost it. I mean I don't. I think he gave up. I don't know. I want to say like six hits and six batters at one point. You know he he settled down a little bit on Sunday and pitched a couple of uh, tough innings, scoreless innings. Got his slider back, looked good. Jose Alvarado is, is walking guys, and then there's other guys, especially you know. I mean the decision to take Glass now out really didn't make sense to me, Steve. I mean he he did not throw but about 80-something pitches in his previous start. He was in the 70s uh, with five and a third innings to go. And even though he had given up a home run, you know, when he was taken out earlier in the game uh, to their first baseman, I, I just didn't think that that was a point, especially with the way that the bullpen has been used and with no Blake Snell and the fact that you have three opener days. Uh, they're sending guys now on the Durham shuttle. Jake Faria, we saw him over the weekend, pitch pretty well. These guys are going back and forth to try to give them some length and some help in the bullpen, but it's just not working out. And then you got guys going in and walking batters. I mean, they were fortunate that they entered an inning with a two to one lead and they got out of it trailing just three to two, thanks to a double play, I think. But it, it just it just hasn't worked for Kevin Cash, and I'm not sure I'm not sure why they're not pushing these guys, especially in the scenario they face now, where they need length from their starters. And the other part of it is, okay, so Glass now, it's, it's five and a third innings. He gives up the single to Mookie Betts. Right. And Moreland's going to come up. So they want to bring in the lefty to face Moreland. But you knew Alex Cora was going to pinch at Steve Pierce. He's done it in the series already. Yes. You knew as soon as you brought Caleric in, he was going to make that switch. But I wonder if that's what he was – I mean, if, I wonder if that's the trade-off Kevin Cash thought of. Well, Mitch Moreland's going to be pinch hit for – and I'd be happy to get him out of the game because he's a better hitter than Steve Pierce. And I'll take my chances with this matchup as opposed to Glass now facing Moreland again. Although, you know, I, I mean, just because a guy hits a home runoff, you doesn't mean he's going to hit another one. I'd you rather have I mean? Glass now go against Moreland than Kalerick against Pierce. I agree with you. I and, totally and, agree with you. And, and, and then the walks started happening. And that's what uh, – nothing frustrates me more in baseball than relievers who come in and can't throw strikes. Oh, terrible. Nothing frustrates me more. Kalerick walks Steve Pierce. Then Chaz Rowe comes in walks a guy. Yeah. You know, that just – you know, Alvarado in the 11th inning – you know, he gave up the single, and then the walk after that, that's what hurt him. 
Right. It was that walk that then allowed the sack bunt, sack fly, and you're down in the 11th That's inning. That's right. If he doesn't walk, yeah, that was Chavis, tricky. who's second game in the big leagues, what are you nibbling around the corners for? Yeah. I don't understand pitchers. I mean, look, if the guy's if guy hits it 400 feet, who cares? Right. I mean, you right. know, you walk them, you're going to get punished more. It almost well, sure a home a home run in that situation doesn't doesn't beat you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's just one run. But when you start putting guys on, now you're looking at a big inning or a potential yep. big inning, and it's just you know it, it it's there's no like you're right. You got one job. Your job is to come out of the bullpen and make guys you know throw strikes. Don't get behind. Make them hit the ball. Hit it somewhere. Attack hitters. What have you? Let it all go. Empty the you know all the cliches. You know, empty the can. Whatever. Yeah. And professional pitchers at the major league level somehow nibble and fail to attack hitters, get behind, and then walk guys. I mean, you know, they're not going to help you out. That's what good hitters do. And, mm-hmm. and the Red Sox have a great lineup of guys that work counts. And, you know, they're not going to swing at bad pitches for the most part. Um, and they got they got themselves, you know, behind again. I mean, it was almost like Cash said, we're going to win this game 2-1. to one. This is our only chance. Our chance is – that I play matchups and the matchups all work. And even though we don't score again, and they did manage to score more runs, but if we don't score again, we, we got to go out here and try to win this game two to one. Yeah. And that, that may be his mindset there. Um, it, it didn't make sense at the time. And I know Kevin, after the game just said, well, it didn't work. Yeah. He didn't really have an explanation for it other than, you know, I mean, some moves work, some moves don't. Right. But I've never understood with pitchers and granted, look, I'm not a big league pitcher. It's a lot easier said than done, of course. But yeah, if a guy beats me, he beats me. I don't right. want to beat myself. No, which is what walks no, you do. Don't. I mean, that's essentially Absolutely. what you're doing is you're beating yourself or, or giving them a better opportunity to beat you. I mean, if you throw a strike and he knocks it out of the yard, okay, he got the best of me. That it, that and it's bat. one I mean, run. It happens as, as opposed to you you walk people and then now you're in real trouble and you're looking at a big inning because it's not it's not the guy you were facing that could have gone yard on you that would have beat you. It's putting him on, and then the next Scott, you know, the way Cleric and, and Chaz Rose did. I mean, you just can't start innings that way, and you can't come out of the bullpen and pitch like that. And, you know, we talked about it before the start of the season. This is a team that didn't add any arms, in, you know, really in the bullpen. They were going to go. They were good. They're going to go with what they had. Uh, do they need a closer? Do they need this? Do they need that? No, nope, we're good. We're good. We're good. Well, now you wonder if they're really that good. You know what I mean? Or did they just get off to a nice start? The starters went deep in games. The, you know, after Blake Snell's opening loss to the Astros, he's pitched lights out, except for a grand slam that Charlie Morton gave up. He even gave them length and pitched really well and, and shut out, you know, the Red Sox the rest of the way and gave them a chance to get back in that game, which they did. Uh, so, you know, all their their top three starters, which is all they have, have have done pretty much their jobs, and it's you know suddenly. Uh, the bullpen that looks pretty leaky, and I think I don't know. At one point during the broadcast, or the t- uh, yeah, the broadcast, I think Dave Wills said that you know over the last I don't know ten, eleven games, something like that, the bullpen's ERA had ballooned up to like five and a half runs, five five and a half, something like that. So that that's definitely not where you want to be. So it's trending down, and it's not you know as effective as it was. Castillo again went through some some you know some rough patches. He seemed to get a feel for a slider on Sunday and did a nice job to keep him in the game. Alvarado's control is is erratic at best. So it, it's just you know 
It's starting to snowball on them. And this is the thing. Like, you know, this is a team that had a couple of eight-game losing streaks a year ago. Uh, they also had a couple of eight-game winning streaks. Right. But uh, you're now at four and counting. You know, you cannot go into these prolonged slumps and expect to be competitive in the American League East because, oh, by the way, even with their injuries, the Yankees are getting are winning games. They picked up some ground. Certainly the Red Sox got three games on you over the weekend. And these teams are going to come back, They're, and you're going to fall back to the pack a little bit. So like you said, you had a chance to really bury them and separate. And even if you take one game out of the three, they really only gain a game on you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a wasted opportunity. Now they leave here, they picked up three games. Yep. And there's a big difference between – picking up a game or picking up three. And and there's probably a little bit of doubt in that clubhouse right now too, and especially in the bullpen, about whether these guys are going to be able to to, uh, to get the job done. So, uh, yeah, it's disappointing all the way around. And I like I said, I, I would not write the, the Red Sox obituary any, uh, too soon. I mean, they're way too talented. In the, and now talk about a bullpen that's lights out right now. At least that's the way they pitched against the Rays. They hadn't been doing that. But that that was a tough bullpen to navigate. Well, I don't know. Matt Barnes gave up two home runs in the eighth inning. He one did. on Saturday, he one did. on You're Sunday, right. and he's You're been did. pitching You're really right. well. You're um, right. You're right. You know, I like the Rays' fight in the whole series. I mean, you know, even oh, they when they got down them. five nothing on Saturday, you oh, know, it was a great comeback. They were yeah. great games, entertaining. Um, Sundays took way too long. I forgot how slow David Price pitches. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, I do and not he miss only that went part five of his innings game. too. Yeah, yeah. He was at ninety pitches through like four innings or four and a half, or you know. Four right. plus innings that it was. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot how slow he pitches. <laughs> I don't miss that part of his game at all. He's a he's a great pitcher, but man, is he slow. Pitch yeah. clocks are invented for him. Yeah, I well, it was a long game on Sunday. That's for sure. I mean, I don't know. That was. I mean, it was eleven innings, but it, it like even through nine. Nine I think was like almost three, three and a half hours. It was three three and a half hours yeah. at that point because I thought about going and I, <clears throat> excuse me, had to be back for a. Um, uh, so my wife could go to to, uh, to church um, for this thing uh, at, at the Greek Orthodox Church with with our da- with our daughter, but that's neither here nor there. It just it, it, I, I was planning like if I went to this game and it was three hours, I could make it back in time and everything would be fine. And I'm like, boy, am I glad I didn't go. Not because it was 11 innings, but because after nine innings, they had played three and a half. <laughs> so that was that was your that was your bad American League game for you. Over the weekend, you know. So, but the look, good news is the good news is Kansas City comes to town, and they're the worst team in the American League. The only team worse than them in baseball is the Marlins. So you hope you can uh, write some ills there. Well, you could, although they they had the Yankees and blew a game against them, so they they played at least one game tough right. against New York. But yep. yeah, you've got to you've got to stay healthy. I mean, and that's the thing. Like you know, look, they're going to play the Red Sox sixteen more times. They got the Yankees nineteen times. At some point, you're going to have to beat those teams, right? But in the meantime, you're going to have to win, continue to win series against the teams that you're better than. Yes. And if you're, you know, if you're better than the Toronto Blue Jays or the White Sox, those teams you have to take series from until you get back in the American League East and, and eventually you're going to take on the Red Sox and the Yankees. Well, you're going to be then, in Boston next weekend, so you've got another yeah. shot at them next weekend. Right. It's, a quick, it's going to be a quick turnaround. They'll be playing them again soon. But I'm sure they're disappointed. And, um, and we didn't even talk about Austin good. Meadows yet. Uh, I'm telling you. So of bizarre. All the play, so, of all so, the guys. Yeah, so Sunday we get to the park and they say Austin Meadows on the disabled list. He hurt his thumb. Nobody even knew that, On his right? triple. And we're sitting there going, he didn't slide hand first. He slid feet first in. That's correct. 
And we even went back and watched the replay, and sure enough, he slid feet first, but then he grabbed the base as he was sliding by and apparently jammed his thumb, and they're checking. you seeing a hand specialist Sunday afternoon to see if there's ligament damage. Ugh. That's what Kevin Kiermaier did to his thumb last year, and that, that cost him about six weeks if it's uh, it that may bad, been, I, Kevin may have been two months or – I think Kevin's was a two- to three-month diagnosis. No, I don't – Was you know, it? I have no idea if these are comparable or anything, but right. – and, and there may not be ligament damage for Austin Meadows. Right. But in the meantime, he's on the 10-day injured list. Mm. Hottest hitter they have, too. Oh, absolutely, just yeah. Clutch. I mean, just, just really swinging a great bat. Pretty good outfielder, all that. Yeah, they're going to be tested. Although, you know, other, other teams like the Yankees and others have a lot of injuries right now, but they, but you did not want to lose his bat out of the lineup. That's a that's a tough one. You know, it's yeah. weird. That game, they set a club record with four triples, Steve. And even though they managed to to come back and tie that game up, they wound up losing it. Um, but, you know, they had three of those guys at third base with less than one out and scored – scored. Uh, well, four of them were on third base with less than one out. But yep. three of them that were there did not score. Well, did the, not score. And the one that scored was hit in on another triple. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way he scored. Yeah. So what a waste. I mean, there was wasted opportunity like crazy. And then, of course, Saturday night they put a play on and they uh, – they caught Tommy Pham, yeah, who has he, not, he, by the way, had the best base running start to uh, the season. I, you know, I mentioned, I said, did Malik's come back? <laughs> and I, they, they, oh. I think Tommy just gets over aggressive at times, and that seems to be maybe. his personality. Yeah, is he's going to be aggressive, and they caught him. They yeah. caught him twice in the last week now. They have. He was taking a big secondary lead. I mean, Pierce is actually moving before the pitch, which tells you that they were taking a little bit of a gamble there because he's vacating yep. the right side of the infield. Um, but it was a nice job by uh, the bad know, part is, is, is the Red Sox is Tommy wasn't the run that was important. The, no. run, the runner no. on second was the tying run. I mean, Tommy's the winning run and that's nice, but you got to yeah. tie the game before you win the game. You that's cannot right. be out as the second guy. That's right. And I, I like Ozzy Timmons and all that, and I don't know what he what he told him before that, but the only job you have as a base runner in that situation is do not get picked off. Right. <laughs> and for that matter, you know, don't get doubled on a line drive. But there's no reason to take that big of a secondary lead, and obviously they saw that in Christian, uh, you know, Velasquez. Yep. Vasquez threw it down there. and It was a nice play, but, um, you know, you, and I'll give Pham credit. He stood there and faced the music. What could he say? He, he owned screwed it. up, and, and he owned it like he had to. Uh, and then he said he would make up for it. And guess what? He did. He hit, he hit the tying home run on Sunday and um, did a really nice job you know, with that. And they had their chances. Look, it's hard to win. If you're the Red Sox uh, or, the, or the Rockies, for that matter, and you come in someplace and it, you go extra innings, it's hard to win an extra inning game on the road. I mean, that, that team's always getting the last at bat. And somehow – some way, the Rays are now 0-3 in extra inning games at home, yep. which is really weird. Yeah, that is, yeah, because normally, you know, you're, you're playing your closers first, so you're better, mm-hmm. you're better bullpens pitching because you're, you're never going to have a save opportunity. That's right. So you're putting your better bullpen out in the early extra innings, and the other mm-hmm. team's kind of saving their A bullpen for if they get a lead. Right. It was, it was disappointing. So, but, um, but the Rays are still in get... first place. They're two and a half games up on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're going to have swoons during a season. Right. I hated seeing against the Red Sox only because they were struggling and you wanted to keep them struggling because nobody thinks they're going to stay where the record they are now, four games below 500 for the rest of the season. No. Their lineup's too good. 
All right, well, they'll wrap up this homestand beginning with the three-game series uh, tonight against Kansas City, and then it's on the road against Boston and Kansas City. So they kind of reverse the uh, order that they go here. So we'll see if the Rays can snap that four-game losing streak. Blake Snell's not going to pitch on Wednesday. I guess he threw off the mound a little bit, said his toe didn't feel too bad, so they were optimistic about that. I think He's going to do another like session either today pitches. or tomorrow. Yeah. So hopeful maybe this weekend he can start. Assuming he doesn't move any furniture or drop anything large on his foot. That's just one Please of call two men that, in a truck next time. Yeah, right? Uh, it's just it's it's weird, but they've uh, – Mark Tompkins did a nice job, I think, over the weekend, if you want to read TampaBay.com, of listing some of the Rays' weird injuries throughout the years. Uh, things happen, I guess, when, you, uh, when you're when you playing baseball and doing different things away from the field. Still like toweling off too vigorously. <laughs> too I might have vigorously. to use that sometime. <laughs> Ever since then, I've tried not to towel off. I can't vigorously. go work out today. I toweled off too vigorously this morning getting out of the shower. It could just drip dry, actually. I mean, there's no really no reason for a towel sometimes. You know what I mean? So we've had uh, also some news in the NFL. Of course, the NFL draft is just days away, three days away. I can't wait. I can't wait because I'm tired of people telling me I know nothing about this football team. <laughs> um, the people on Twitter, I'll tell you what. There's The one thing about the NFL draft, and hey, credit – Credit the league for this. They have made this such a big industry and a cottage industry, and there's so many people uh, and so much information in such a busy space out there about all these prospects. And, you know, people watch a lot more film than I do, and that's I don't see that as my job, but there are some that are devoted to 365 days a year of nothing but draft coverage and evaluating college prospects and all of that. And God bless them. Uh, you know, I hope they're successful and they continue to make lots of money doing it. But because of that, I think everybody feels like they're an expert and knows what's going to happen in the draft. And I'll be the first to tell you I don't. I'm clearly not an expert, and I'm not sure what's going to happen because I've, I've done too many of these drafts. They're unpredictable. And of late, there's been a way more trades than there's ever been before. And if you think you know what's going to happen, you're probably fooling yourself. But it's going to be interesting because a lot of people seem to think that even – you know, if it doesn't, if it falls the Bucks' way and they get a defensive lineman, they seem that that's a bigger priority than maybe trying to find, you know, like a, a Mike linebacker. And I understand that there is a value order of positions. I would just say what Jason Light told us last week, and he didn't say many things that were true, right? Um, but Devin White is a special player, and you know, for that matter, so is Devin Bush. Well, what he said was, you draft, you know, you draft the player, not the position. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, do certain positions have a higher value? Absolutely. And do the Bucks need a specially interior defensive lineman with the status of Joe McCoy being what it is, or an edge rusher with Jason Pierre-Paul being 30 years old, with Carl Nassib being a free agent after this year? Absolutely. They need help on the defensive line. And Eureka, here's the best defensive line draft, they say and maybe a decade. So they're in a good position, especially if a quarterback or two can go ahead of them. However, I'm just here to tell you, and we'll discuss this more this Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
week that Devin White, according to a lot of people, not just the Bucks, is a top five talent. Not many inside linebackers are drafted that high. When they are, they're reserved for people like Patrick Willis or Ray Lewis or somebody of that ilk, and we'll see what Devin White becomes, but it will not surprise me if he goes in the top five. It also wouldn't surprise me if he goes later than that based on quarterbacks and defensive linemen, and maybe somebody likes Ed Oliver. Uh, he could get into that mix as well. Maybe Montez Sweat, even with his heart condition that I wrote about in the Tampa Bay Times this morning. Some people are scared about it. You know, the Bucks have two coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, from Mississippi State. So what do you think their opinion is? They just watched this guy play two seasons with it. So there's any number of scenarios that can happen on draft day, and if somebody thinks they really know what's going to happen, they're fooling themselves because none of us do, and, and neither do the teams. That's what's so great about it. So we'll find out on Thursday. I'm anxious to see just how that whole thing comes about. But last Friday – I don't know if you caught this, but the NFL came out, at least the guy that's in charge of their broadcasting and scheduling efforts, and said, you know what, if I could have one back, oops, it might be the Bucks schedule. I'm not sure we did them really right there. You think? Wow. Yeah. And of course, they're redoing admittance? the schedule, correct? <laughs> no. Although I considered that. Like, I'm sure it would be very hard to do at this point because, you know, everything, like, you can't. It's like a ball of yarn, right? You start, you pull one string, and then everything happens. But really, I I wonder if there couldn't have been a tweak or two of switching some games. I didn't really think the league looked at it necessarily. Well, like but for for instance, so, for instance, the the week before you go to London with the Panthers, you're at the Saints, right? Could you swap your home and away with the Saints? Yeah, and I, don't I don't know, know how that would affect the Saints schedule. Well, and, and the thing is, it's about stadium availability, too. You sure. don't know what events there are at Raymond James, what events there are in New Orleans. All of that, you know, college, pro, right. all of that figures into it. But, I mean, that was one of the things I thought of is, you know, could they just swap one of your division ones? And that and the Saints are the only ones of those five straight weeks of, of you know, including your bye that, that you're playing. So you're playing non-divisional games, the other three games around that. Correct. You know, but and I, like I said, I don't know if it, all of a sudden the Saints now end up with four road games in a row and that screws them up, or you know, I, I don't know how I didn't look at that closely, but but thanks for letting us know that you screwed up. Yeah, really doesn't do uh, anyone any favors at this point, that's for sure. I mean, they can't get it back. In fact, you know, we've talked about the schedule where you know you have you you open the season on a Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers and then four, three days later you're on an airplane four days later you're playing your second game so they have two games in four days to open the season the second one at Carolina on a Thursday night that's tough enough and then some of your back-to-back road games are at Los Angeles and then at New Orleans those are two of maybe the those are the two toughest teams that the Bucks may face you know all season I mean we don't know but it certainly is uh, not advantageous to go from September 22nd until November 10th without playing a game at Raymond James Stadium. I mean, NFL players are creatures of habit, and one of those habits is waking up in their own beds before, you know, before they have to play a game. And, of course, I know they go to hotels on Saturday night, even locally, but my point is, you, you know, part of the routine is being at home every now and then, and when you're going to be on the road for seven weeks, even though, you know, one of those is a so-called home game in England. And, and the amount of mileage that they're going to travel, some 23,000 miles during that stretch, 
It's just I can't believe that they can look at the 32 teams and somebody's reviewing these schedules and it doesn't just jump off the page at them that the Bucks are gone for so long, like seven weeks between games at Raymond James. It just I don't know how that could be overlooked. I always assumed, and I guess incorrectly, or maybe it used to be and they've changed it, that once the schedules were kind of laid out, that a representative or two from the teams would see each one, the schedule. Right. Ahead of time. And apparently they don't. I know in they baseball don't. they do. Yeah, they I, do I've not. seen baseball schedules weeks before they're released. Right. And, and having worked around the team and stuff where they know, you know, the, the, the schedule for the next season and the team has it and they're still tinkering with it a little bit. But there's basically the schedule is set weeks before they release it. That, mm-hmm. But apparently in the NFL, maybe it's because the schedules always leak out, so they don't. Right, but, and they want, it, they want it to be a TV show. I mean, a lot of this is sure. done for television. You know, they've tried to make everything an event, right? The mm-hmm. Combine's an event. Um, certainly the draft has become just a monster event. And the release of the schedule is a made-for-TV primetime show that starts at 8 o'clock on NFL Network. And for that reason, there's no master schedule that's sent out by the league to all its teams at the same time. They literally inform each team individually. Now, that, that just goes to show you the lack of confidence that they have in these teams keeping this stuff to themselves. But it was the NFL's uh, video president of broadcasting, Michael North, is the one that told Sirius NFL Radio when That's he said That's not the this. Chicago Sports Talk host, is it? No, it's not that Michael North. No, I, I don't believe. I know, it's not. Um, but he said this. He said, this is, this is one that the NFL would love to have back. It's certainly not unusual for an NFL team to have one home game over a six-week stretch. Really? Not unusual? One home game over a six-week stretch? Okay. If you have a buy in I mean, like the schedule was laid out, assuming that game wasn't yeah. in London. It might have been better. You know, yeah. you've got four out, four out of five on the road with the one in the middle. That's happened before. I, I, but I, I'm sure it's happened. But when the one home game isn't actually home, correct. this is likely something that the NFL would seek to avoid in the future. I'd love to redo that one. <laughs> would you now? Oh, boy. Let me ask you this, because, I mean, at some point we're going to talk to Bruce Arians probably on Tuesday, I would think, as they're going to have their mini camp prior to the draft. So the full squad workouts that are voluntary will be uh, starting on Tuesday. But at some point, obviously, the Bucks cannot continue to make this a thing. And I'm not saying they have, actually. I mean, the NFL has come out and admitted it, but I've told you. Well, we'll see. We'll prior- see when Bruce Arians speaks if they do. That's what I'm saying. Privately, they're seething. And, sp- and I've, I've been told that Bruce Arians was, you know, sort of the leader of the band here. But I, don't, I, be- I will bet you they will try as best they can to turn this into, okay, well, nobody likes us. Everybody hates us. They want us to lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make this work. We're gonna, this is going to be our battle cry. Like, you cannot – it doesn't matter what the schedule is. It doesn't – and you can only play one game at a time anyway, so they're, you know, they're going to be – we're on to San Francisco, right? They're going to be the Belichickian. We, we're, we're not – and there is some sense to, you know, when you're going to cut down a forest, you just start with one tree. You don't look up at the whole forest, you're going to be overwhelmed, right? So they'll start with, you know, the San Francisco, and then they're going to play three, four days later at Carolina. If they knock those two down, um, then they have some – you know, they got the Giants at home. So maybe they'll be like, well, we're going to start 3-0. and You know, we'll be 3-0 and – and we'll have that little mini bye week after that we beat Caroline. I mean, this is going to be sort of their battle hem, and, and they're going to have to, you know, pack some nice neck pillows and things for all the flying they're going to do. But they'll embrace it, and I think the Arians will too. 
But you got to be careful here because this this starts to sound, and I think it's legit, but it starts to sound like an excuse before the season even begins. And if that gets into the player's mindset, you're dead. Yeah, I agree. And I think for that reason, I think Arians will probably say they don't like the schedule, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And he won't say much publicly about it. Right. Now, will they use it as motivation in the locker room? Look, you look Try. for any edge. You look for any edge. Sure you do. It's us against the world. Sure you do. You know, the NFL admitted they screwed us. So let's prove them right. wrong. Right. You know, but I don't, I don't think publicly, I don't think he'll make a huge deal of it. For that reason of you don't want it to be an excuse before the season's even begun, before your coaching tenure's begun. Before right. you've coached a game or even a, a mini camp. You know, the other team that has it almost as bad that's also not going to play a game in their stadium for about six weeks, also playing a game in London against the Chicago Bears. Do they even have a stadium? Man. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's And it's on them. I mean, the league the league about the Raiders, and it's it's the Raiders, by the way, but the league, the thing about the league is not as upset about the Raiders because they're like, look, they didn't even tell us where they were playing till March 15th. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, how could we even decide where they were going to play when we didn't even know where their home games were? I mean, we could have put them in – uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, like where were you guys going to play, you know? So um, it, it was hard for them to, you know, to know that they could host a game at Oakland Alameda Coliseum when they didn't agree to it till very late. So they're also going to miss about, I think, about six weeks if you include the uh, so-called home game that they have against Chicago and London, and they play before the Bucks do the, the first week in November, I guess. So those two teams, Bucks and Raiders. If you uh, see any connection there. And finally, in the NFL, a sad, sad news on Saturday. I was out with the family and saw this break on the internet. And former Bucks running back, longtime NFL scout, he's been with the San Francisco 49ers the last 10 years, began his scouting career in Tampa Bay. Reggie Cobb, who was a running back from Tennessee, drafted in the second round. At that time, number 30 was in the second round because it was 1990. He died at age 50, and to say this was a shock to people is an understatement. First of all, 50 years young, uh, you know, that's just, uh, you know, unfair to to Reggie and to his family, I'm sure. He was in Santa Clara, California, where the, where the 49ers are and where he works, clearly. Reggie Cobb was a guy, very interesting, you know, he was a terrific running back at Tennessee, and it was voted as a, on their top 100 uh, all-time players at Tennessee or re- recently that they that they did he was a guy that got into trouble late in his career at the University of Tennessee he was competing with Emmett Smith for the rushing title in the SEC that Emmett eventually won and Reggie got into trouble with uh, drug tests and tested positive he went to John Lucas's rehab and during that time, I guess he, he checked in in January before the draft. And the guy that was the frequent visitor used to compete against him at the University of Alabama, which was Bucks coach Ray Perkins, who came to the Bucks, you know, a few years earlier. But Perkins was a guy that went and saw him in Houston frequently during that transition. So when he drafted him, it wasn't that big of a surprise. But it was a, it was a bit of a gamble in and of itself at that time. You never had another problem with Reggie Cobb. I'm telling you when, when I say that every time I saw this man, there was a smile on his face. He was grateful that for every opportunity he got in and outside of football. He played about six seasons, 
played for the Jets, um, you know, a couple of the teams, Jacksonville, their inaugural season. So, you know, he was a good player, but he was a better person. And he got into scouting right out of his after his career, and he started in Tampa Bay and was a scout here for about three or four years. Uh, eventually, like I said, the last decade he's been with San Francisco and his former teammate, of course, he has two of them out there, which is general manager John Lynch and also – uh, Lynch's right-hand man, Martin Mayhew, who were both teammates of, of his. And so it's just, it's, it's a terribly sad story. Uh, I, I enjoyed covering him, enjoyed getting to know him. I just saw him in February at the NFL Combine. You, you know, all the scouts go to the Combine and you see pretty much the whole league. And Reggie was one of those guys that I wasn't, you know, I just covered him, right? And, and so there are certain players I was closer to than others. I wasn't more you know, close to Reggie than, than, than other players. I mean, there were guys, you know, like Lynch or some others that maybe I had more interaction with down the road, but Cobb would always, 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 if you passed him in a hallway, there could be, he could be in a group of 40 guys or, you know, what have you in a, in a, in a crowded uh, you know, auditorium or, or convention center at Indianapolis. And he would stop, he would see me, he would walk across the, the way and we'd sit there and have a conversation and, um, that's just the kind of guy he was. You know, he was never going to not say hello. He was never going to big time anybody. He was a hell of a scout. He won uh, the scout, NFC Scout of the Year one season for, by Fritz Pollard uh, Association. And, you know, just just a great guy. And it's the reaction you can see if you go on Twitter has been heartfelt and universal. I mean, I have. it's rare, folks, in this business when there are so many eagles and egos, and it's a cutthroat business to begin with, and there's, there's just so few jobs when you think about the number of people in the world that want to work in the NFL and play in the NFL, uh, and it's difficult sometimes for players to make that transition after their careers, but Reggie was always going to work in an organization if he wanted to because he was just that smart and just that dedicated, and I, I think that, you know, the scouting community, especially, you've seen tons of testimonials on Twitter about Reggie, and uh, you know I think it's it's really you know sort of the value of a man's life with what people have to say about him when he's gone. And like I said, this was such a shock. This is not a guy who is you know 65, 75, 85 years old. He was 50, and he was on the first team that I covered. And um, you know I'm going to miss him, and I know I know that uh, you know our hearts go out to him and his family, but. Uh, Reggie Cobb will will always be well regarded in the NFL and certainly in Tampa Bay as well. Okay, and before we get out of here, uh, congratulations to Andre Vasilevsky, the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's a finalist for the Vezina Trophy, the top goalie in the NHL. And then Victor Hedman, who won the Norris Trophy a year ago as a top defenseman, is a finalist again. And we'll be waiting because I'm sure later this week, they will name the finalists for the Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, and you'll hear Nikita Kucherov's name, I think, involved in that, and then the Jack Adams Coach of the Year will probably involve John Cooper now. The question is, I assume, Steve, maybe you know this, are, the, are these votes taken prior to the playoffs? Correct. It's after, it's after the regular season. And the awards yeah. will be given out in Vegas uh, right before the NHL draft after the Stanley Cup final at the NHL so awards quite- show. Quite frankly, that bodes well, very well for all the Lightning players yeah. and for John Cooper. I think I think were... Vasilevsky will win the, the Vesna. Uh, I Do think you? Mark Giordano from Calgary will win the Norris Trophy for defenseman, okay. and I think Kucherov will win the Hart Trophy. Yes. And I'm guessing Barry Trotz wins the Jack Adams Coach of the Year award. 
That makes sense. I mean, Trotz, you know, leaves the Capitals and goes to the Islanders and who lost John Tavares. Who lost Tavares, yeah. Went from the worst defensive team in hockey to the best as far as goals against. Outstanding. So I think I think uh, the Lightning will I think Kucherov and Vasilevsky will take home those awards, but I think Hedman and Cooper will lose. Well, something to look forward to. You said this when we were going on the podcast. It's weird to watch the NHL playoffs right now without the Lightning. It's hard. And, and the Toronto-Boston series has been fantastic, and it's going to Game 7 Tuesday night. But it's mm-hmm. hard to watch hockey. It is. Because the Lightning are still supposed to be playing. I mean, Game 6 would have been sometime today. Or we're taping on Sunday. Yeah. That was scheduled to have been Game 6 had the, had the series gone that far. It's just hard. I'm sure, but there's all, been some I'm sure other, there's a lot of Lightning fans having trouble watching the hockey playoffs. Yeah, I bet. But there's been some other upsets. I mean, Calgary, which we had the second-best record in the yep. NHL, they're out already. And Boston's the third best. If, if Toronto beats them Tuesday night, they'll be out. There's been a, yeah. lot, a lot of upsets in, in the Stanley Cup finals. It just kind of shows you how hard it is to win and, and that these teams that make the postseason are all good mm-hmm. or they wouldn't be in the postseason, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. So, you know, it's very unpredictable. Only one team's going to be happy. We've said that before. You don't want to get swept, obviously, by Columbus after the kind of year they had, and that will always be a stain on that season. But it does occur, and now we're going to have to see how the Lightning are going to kind of rebuild their team and especially the defense. And you know, and Steve Eiserman, we haven't even mentioned him. Oh, the God, that's right. That happened as well. That on happened Friday, on right? Friday as well. So Eiserman, as, you know, long been rumored from the day he stepped down as the Lightning general manager, you know, last September, he is now the new general manager of the Red Wings as Ken Holland moves to a senior vice president of something. Yeah, they were going to they were going to clear the decks. And they said that, you know, that became apparent to them as an opportunity in September when they announced that Eisenman was going to be sort of a consultant as uh, Julian Brisebois took over. So they've had their eye on that. It's the perfect place for him to go. His family is there. And I thought it was uh, classy of, of Jeffrey Vinnick and others to wish him well. He's, I don't know if you noticed Vinnick's statement, but basically said something to the he had some he had some digs, man. He had something to the effect of uh, uh, you know him going to the uh, the second best team. In All right, the yeah, NHL. we wish him the best to become the second best team in the <laughs> NHL. That's right. So that was that was pretty interesting. But but really, look, if, I mean, if you really look at, now. I mean, Steve Eiserman was Jeff Vinnick's first hire. He was. And Pretty good. they completely transformed a franchise. They did. And a fan base. Mm-hmm. And have built, you know, what many believe is the, the model franchise in the NHL, or even sports for a lot of factors of what yes. they've done. And that was all, you know, I mean, it wasn't just Iserman and obviously Jeff Finnick, you know, but Iserman was that first hire who then brought in Julian Breezebois and Al Murray, the director of scouting, and Pat Verbeek and all those people who built this franchise and built the farm system and built the minor leagues and the roster and, and, and even how they helped transform everything at the arena and all that, that, you know, Iserman, look, I, you know, you saw some lightning fans bitter about Iserman leaving and going to Detroit, but you know, he was here for eight years yeah, and he completely transformed your franchise. He wants to go Did home. everything, but win the cup. That's yeah. all. And you can't begrudge him of that. And the question now is though, Steve, how many guys from the Tampa Bay Lightning's front office could he possibly take with him? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you know, the interesting part is, and, and a lot of people speculate who's Eiserman going to take with him, but this is a chance for Julian Brisebois to build the front office he wants, and maybe there's some people he doesn't want to keep. True. I mean, That's it can true. work both ways in that regards, too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Julian kind of inherited Steve's 
staff, and and obviously he was a big part of that for all eight years with Iserman, but he may be looking to make some changes. And, and part of, look, the early exit this year in the playoffs may mean that they're looking at making some changes, whether it's, you know, Pat Verbeek or scouting or who knows. I mean, I think everything is under the microscope, as we've discussed, that, you know, they're going to evaluate everything in this organization and see what they think needs to change. So there may be there may be people that, that Julian Breezeball actually – Maybe he's got somebody he'd rather bring in in this position. And so then Iserman can easily take that person with him. And it, it may not be Iserman takes him. It could be that Julian wants to go a different direction. We don't know. We may never know. Right. Well, he certainly left them in a better place than where he found them. So, I mean, I think that's the measure of, of anybody who has that job. And, and the Lightning's core is strong. And he'll do the same with Detroit. And so, you know, we don't know how long this window is going to be open for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but they better shut it fast because I do know that the Detroit Wet Red Wings are coming. <laughs> they've got they've got the right GM in there right now. They've been rebuilding for several years now, and I know they've got some good young players, Dylan Larkin and Anastasiu and, and several others there. But you know, I, I think they still have a lot of work to do in rebuilding their their minor leagues and, and their obviously their big roster um, as they've you know missed the playoffs now for four or five years in a row. That's right. You know, something like that after that long streak. Um, mm-hmm. But in reality, most people will tell you part of Detroit's problem is is they were so concerned about keeping that playoff streak going that they didn't yeah. start the rebuild soon enough. Like their window had passed to win cups. But instead right. of doing a complete rebuild to, to get back, they were trying to keep that streak going of 20, 21, 22, 20, and I think it ended at 24 consecutive playoff appearances. That they really should have started the rebuild sooner, but that streak was too important. So they were just trying to make the playoffs even though they had no shot to win it. No, that's an incredible streak for success, but He'll get it going again, and um, you know I don't think anybody can begrudge what Steve Eiserman did and his chance to go back home and be with uh, his Red Wing family and his own family that's still up there in the Detroit area. So, listen, we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. Hey, and if you uh, want to sponsor a portion of this, we got new ways you can do that. Uh, just contact us on Twitter for more information at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. NFL Draft the Rays. Playing the Kansas City Royals. Lots going on this week. Stick right here. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.